Hey you. Yes, I mean you, dear listener. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Warui Desho podcast. We're so happy to have the pleasure of your company today. If you've listened to us before and like our show, you might be wondering how you can support us, since we won't take your money. This podcast will continue to be free, but if you'd like to show your appreciation, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes, as those help our discoverability. If you don't use iTunes, that's fine too. You can follow us and like and share our content on SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter. Additionally, we love getting your feedback, positive or negative. Tweet us at Show or email us at waterwaydeshow at gmail.com. Whether or not it gets read on the show, I can assure you, we all read every tweet and email you send us. And once again, dear listener, we thank you so much. Now please, enjoy the show. Ladies, gentlemen, Emmys, welcome to Warrior Dash of Streamer 4, Episode 5, the 301045, that is. That is the promised Neverland Episode 5, you get where I'm going with this. Anyway, I'm your usual uh, compare of critical chaos, that is Shaden. Uh, somewhere across the pond, uh, several thousand miles of ocean between me and him, lucky for him right now, uh, is of course the Soul Doctor. Is space the sky? Uh, yes. That's what, I, in this one. that's what I wanted to know. There's a video game that came out called Sunless Skies, and it is about cosmic horror, like a weird London in space, and it just made me think, wait a minute, I'm not sure space is the sky. (laughs) The the sequel to fucking Sunless Sea, weird London in an underground sea. In hell. (laughs) Yes. Not hell. I think it is hell. It's not it pretty hellish, right? to be fair. It is not. It lets you go back up to the surface and stuff, and you have fun, and you see the sunlight. Well, listen, hell might hell let you go back up to the <laughs> You would know? Have you discussed this with our Dark Lord? <laughs> is, there a, is there a velvet rope? <laughs> is, are you, are you on work? I'm, I'm, in the know. I'm in the know. I have connections. <laughs> okay. uh, my, my opinions are not uh, mine or my employers. Mm. They are just direct stream of thought from satan well anyway that voice you're hearing there is of course you know uh mephistopheles llc's finest worker <laughs> uh vargelia oh wait that's me oh my god yes you will you just say you know you, you, oh you, my god you, you, Sorry, you're on you're on you know two-week release you know you're on a work exchange program from hell getting out to your sites a little bit exchange you know. program from hell coming to theaters this summer 
I hope that's actually a film. That really should be. Um, but unfortunately for the kids in the Promised Neverland, there is no exchange program. They are literally stuck in hell as it is. So there's your segue. Um, boom. We'll get into the episode boom. in a moment, but I believe we might want to check Twitter polls from last week. Let's check Twitter. So here are the polls from last week, episode four. Does Phil rule? 100% say yes. Very good. That's well, you know. That's what I like to hear. We're we're on the same page with our audience. Uh, do you ship? Do you now ship? Emma X Gilda. Sixty three percent say yes. Sixty three percent are right. Those are the polls. Fair enough. Well, I play more poll, hot poll action coming your way later, folks. But now yep. let's talk about the episode. So, just one quick forward before we go into this <laughs> hot poll like, action. Sorry. I'm sorry. Please continue. Uh, it's not, we're, not, we're not doing Cam Gill stuff, you know. We're not giving <laughs> you choices on that kind of... But anyway, <clears throat> before we get into the episode proper, I do want to say that there's a lot to talk about and a lot to relate as far as the plot goes this episode, so I'm going to apologize ahead of time if I misquote, misspeak, misremember, etc., etc. I'm actually going to have the episode playing in silent on the background so I can at least try and relate the details as they come along. But if I do admit anything, please feel free to correct me or, you know, the like. You know, it, it's old age. Please understand... Like, you know, we're only human. I'm not. I'm a robot. You didn't know until now. Get fucks. No, anyway. I think we established last season that we're, in fact, dancer, not human. Uh, this is <laughs> true. This is true. All right. So this episode opens um, with a camera motion of a swinging pendulum inside a clock. Now, not going to make a big talking part of this, but I want to find out two things first. Look at this. Now, obviously, we we left off on a you know cliffhanger last time, which was basically Norman going up to you know Ray like you did kill Colonel Mustard in the bathroom <laughs> with a candlestick, you right. dick. Right. Um, well, not quite that exactly. But anyway, in order to reestablish tension, I think this is a magnificent way of getting off because, of course, tick tock, tick tock, deathly silence. Who's going to speak first in response to that? The really pendulum nice. camera was. I can't decide if I it was like too much. It's one of those things that was like mm. this is a lot. Maybe overindulgent. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. But I'm I'm willing to like give the show latitude, so sure. Yeah. Pendulum camera, why not? Yeah. At least the actual material isn't completely full of shit, like you know, like other shows I've seen in my time. So I'm as you say, like I'm willing to, you know, be more, you know, on board with the camera work here. Uh, second point I want to make here is that this is actually a metaphor for the scenes it plays out going forward. Uh, what do I mean by that? Pendulums in metaphor are often also used to, you know, denote like the swinging of momentum back and forth between two sides in conflict. You can have that be, you know, a fist fight. You can have it be a full blown war, etc. Or you can have it be banter between two kids who recognize, you know, they might be eaten by demons in the near future and might want to possibly escape their confines. Just put that in the back of your head. <clears throat> so anyway, at this, Ray initially feigns ignorance of this, like, nah, you chatting shit. Uh, but Norman lays out the truth of the matter. This is the thing we got confused about in the previous uh, stream before we did, uh, which was that he actually hid three different sets of rope, and he hid two sets in different locations um, that he told Don Giller from what he told Ray. And he hid it with, you know, Ray knowing it's under the bed to deliberately trap him. It wasn't a case of him just suspecting Ray and going out on a limb. And so when he confronts Ray with this evidence, Ray just passes out on the bed, and he starts laughing, and he's like, damn it! I was doing so well! I was... Yeah. and Yeah. And this is the point where the episode starts throwing in 
curious decisions with the facial expressions that Ray throws out. <laughs> curious it's... is the word I just Something... Can we move back for a tiny second? If I recall correctly, so speaking of old age, uh, he was basically like, yeah, I told... Uh, he really told Gilda that it's in the bathroom, and he also told mm-hmm. Ray that it's in the bathroom. So if so, if Ray had decided to implicate Gilda instead of Don, no, I think he's. Uh, I think he gave four entirely okay. separate four, locations. Four. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. He, did, he didn't want it to be ambiguous. He deliberately wanted to make sure it was <laughs> that, that would just four. be <laughs> that would be a true fuck up on Norman's yeah. part. <laughs> He, Ray, like he just hides ropes everywhere. Although you know, is there is there an appropriate metaphor here in saying that he did under the bed? That was uh, Gil. That was. Uh, 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 Let me pull out my pull out my notes. Look at my notes. I pull out yeah. my schematic. No. Oh shit! We're gonna start putting pins on walls and shit. I mean, I'll be fair to Norman. No, he's pretty smart. Giving Ray a length of ropes to hang himself with in this scenario. Sorry, had to be done. Anyway. So, yeah, Ray starts pulling out some psycho faces here, and I'm not really so sure on these, but I'm going to let it slide ultimately because the actual stuff that they're saying is still quite engaging. And yeah. I'll give credit to at least Norman's facial expressions when he, the momentum, you remember I said about the pendulum swinging back and forth, when as the conversation shifts in Ray's favor, when he turns the tables a little bit, and Norman starts truly understanding the gravity of what he's dealing with here is, you know, this whole... Uh, you know, turgid shit pile of a present that's been delivered to him and it starts getting unwrapped. Anyway, <clears throat> so it turns out that Ray is indeed Mom's spy and he's been Mom's spy for years since he was probably quite, you know, quite young. Probably when he was five, maybe, if I guess, you know. You remember we can when, speculate on that. Do you remember the flashback early on when they're little kids at the gate? Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm thinking yep. that might be when, when he... When he turned, <laughs> when he discovered the truth of the house, right? Because that's or that the... might have already been because he was pretty like, uh, pretty not down about it, but pretty kind of sarcastic about it. Uh-huh. This so, is dumb. He he was already he was already like he already knew what. Come on, guys, let's go play video games. This is stupid. Mm-hmm. It's just a so... skate. I want to play more Mortal Kombat. <laughs> no, Fortnite, Fortnite. Let's get this correct. I mean, it's going to turn Battle Royale before we know it. That's the most likely scenario, apart from the law of the shit I'm totally expecting. I mean, it's 2045, it, uh, so Fortnite is Update out. your references. It's Apex. Oh, it is well, Apex now. This is, this is true, but I'm not expecting Norman to pilot a very tiny next So So Norman, Ray, and Emma watched the, the 13th official... Uh, concert within apex or what i i don't know all i know is that if i start seeing any of these fucking kids flossing i'm gonna can this entire show <laughs> fuck that oh <laughs> don't want it no thank you keep that keep that no shit in fortnite where it belongs i saw anyway. a wrestler floss this weekend <laughs> it was quite a sight <laughs> Man, <sighs> dentist told me to floss every day. Yeah. So I do. <laughs> my my knees are white and pearly. Shadon, now that we're hundred kids big, are dropped big, into a big... park. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yep. The circle, the circle is tightening. The circle is tightening. Um, Norman, Norman, Ray, and Emma are a squad. This is a three-person squad game. 
Gilza <laughs> is <laughs> stuck with Don and one other. Phil, Phil is a squad leader. Oh, damn it. Sophie beat me to the joke I was going to make. Like, Emma, get, Emma gets it on the first thing. She yells his winner, winner, chicken dinner. Oh, dear. Right, okay, so that's the plot. So, Ray no, doesn't wait. need... I have a very important question. Go on. I, I see an open plastic bottle in the back of the shot, and I wonder what it is, because I want to make fun of it later. What? Uh, oh, it's just, yeah. it's just a Diet Coke bottle I've not got rid of. Okay, good. That's, that's it. It's as innocuous as that. I'm very sorry to say it's not Old Spice or, you know, a fucking pre-mixed Jack Daniels can. Or, I'll figure you know, something out. Jack Let's continue. Waroi Desho is a Socha noodle... So, so, soda neutral podcast. We do not endorse any particular <laughs> I soda. Be, I almost said that as Sutra neutral and I was like, fucking hell, Doc, what the hell have you been reading in your spare time? Jesus Christ, keep it to the show. <laughs> Alright. So, anyway, uh, Ray's indeed mom's spy. Um, he's been doing it for quite a while, and the conversation starts developing into the fact that, okay, Norman is actually all right with this, in a sense. Not that he's okay with the idea of, you know, Ray, his friend, it's something explicitly states, which is going to be key to something I want to talk about later, mm -hmm. um, doing this. But moreover, that he can turn it to his advantage, because you can have a double agent, you know? So he makes a couple of requests of, uh, of Ray, which is firstly, continue as you are, still being our friend, right? Give us all your information. And what the third one, I think, was to... Feed mom false information if requested. I can't remember. Like, there's, I'd like I said, there's a lot. The to third one was to join them. Yeah, come, them. come yeah. to my okay. side, not to Fair our enough. side. He said to my side, by the way, yeah. which I thought was Ooh. interesting. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's it. Um, he actually changed. Norman actually changed his mind on this, as opposed to simply ratting Ray out and getting him, you know, sent to, you know, probably be harvested because of his cock up. Um, Thank you, Emma. Thank. Thanks yeah, for yeah, that's fucking... That, indeed. That's, that is why <laughs> just, Norman... Just by existing, she makes plot points happen. Yeah. Well, this is the thing, like, I don't think that that, that was on it, like just an appropriate of nothing question. I think Norman was probably planning in his head at that point how he's going to pull off this little, you know, deception. And he just wanted some, you know, affirmation from Emma on what his ultimate action would be once he found the traitor, be it Ray or Don or Gil or, who, or whoever. Um... But Norman makes an excellent point here as he follows this discussion along, which is that, as was said before, uh, Ray was the one who actually left Little Bunny, Connie's doll, behind, and was the one who said in the very uh, first episode... Wait a minute. Can you, you please, so, can you please pronounce, can you say Little Bunny in Japanese? The way they did it. <laughs> yes. I, I can't. I, I wasn't, I was only reading the subtitles. I was like, I, I, well, it's I just, barely <laughs> it's literal. They just say Little Bunny. <laughs> it so, made me. Um, it made me happy. <laughs> so, um, Ray says, like Ray reveals, yeah, I he left Little Bunny behind, um, and then he was the one who prompted back in episode one for mm. Emma and Norman to go and catch up and give the bunny sim. So, in effect, he is the one who actually, through you know, puppet mastering his way through. This, made them find out. It wasn't a coincidence that they just happened to be there. It was orchestrated by him. Yeah. Which and he told them that... and he told them, right? Like they were talking about it and he was like, if you if you go now you can still make it. I believe if mm -hmm. you go back and watch episode one yeah. you'll see that. And uh, not not the first callback to previous episodes, by the way, but I'll get to that in a bit. Um so he on top of that has also been very vocal about the way in which the escape would happen. After all, if he was a spy for mom, why would he ever suggest that he knew how to break the tracking devices? Why ever do that in the first place? 
So clearly, he, as Norman says, he's obviously not completely in Mom's pocket for this. Um, but Ray says that he is doing this for a couple of reasons. First off, because he wants to get out himself. He, I think that's his goal, or has been his goal for a very long time. And only relatively recently has he decided that now the opportunity has presented itself, that he will bring Emma and Norman into the fold, and only them specifically. Because as has been established, and is established again later, Ray does feels that you know the other kids are going to be a burden and will get them all killed. So why bring them along? A sentiment which we discussed previously, and which I will restate my opinion, which is, while I completely get his pragmatic, practical approach to this, I don't ethically agree with it. I don't think that it's you know, the human thing to do is to simply keel over. Better to, you know, fight back in futile resistance rather than just, you know, let yourself go to the slaughter. But anyway, uh, Ray reveals that he's also been getting uh, two specific favours out of Mon by doing this. Uh, the first of which is that he has been, you know, obviously delaying his own send-off to be harvested. Potentially with a view maybe even to have it bypassed altogether. And maybe he might in turn become a full-fledged adult in the way that I suspect has happened with possibly some of the, um, like, the sisters and the moms, etc., Maybe, maybe. Um, but he's also been asking for various bits of junk. Uh, so obviously he's been asking, you know, for fidget spinners. He's been asking yep. for Beyblades, yep. Pez dispensers, you know, Nintendo Switch. Pogs. He's getting all the good... Sh- yeah, Pogs. <laughs> yeah. Pog collection. No, <laughs> oh, no, no, uh, no, no. No Sister Crone this episode. I just, it just dawned oh on me. God. You're right. I noticed yeah. that. And I'm going to, I want to point something out, right? I am a fan of a certain internet reviewer named SF Debris who does reviews of Star Trek, uh, Voyager, amongst other things. Voyager being his bread and butter. Uh, when he rates episodes, he gives the episode a plus one bonus if Neelix doesn't appear. Who is Neelix? If you've not seen Star Trek, he's the complete and utter fucking albatross around the neck of that show. An already bad show by all accounts. So, in the similar vein, I will actually rate this episode higher merely by the fact that Crone does not appear in it at all. It's true. Uh, some spoilers. I'm I'm highly suspicious that Crone will star in the next episode and will appear within the next five within the first five seconds. Um, mm-hmm. can, can I can I share a brief aside that you made me think of when you said well what, what's the name of the reviewer? SF debris. SF debris. Okay, so you just the SF. <laughs> This is so dumb. I don't know why stuff like oh this God. tickles Ray me. Ray does look like a Beyblade protagonist. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> no, he totally does. Um, His hair is so sharp it'll cut you if you touch it. <laughs> Let it rip. Um, <laughs> fucking, there's, uh, I hate Beyblade so much, by the way. Because, like, my kids watch the English dub Beyblade and it's fucking terrible. Jesus I, Christ. Why did you do that? Why did you do that? I, I, I didn't do it. <laughs> I did not do it. But, okay. No, they're autonomous beings who sought out this entertainment on their own accord. Um, oh, back to the story I was going to tell. Then Vorgelia has to share her Beyblade history with all of us. <laughs> Come clean about it. Oh my but, god. Am I the person that now watches anime after being yeah, the person exactly. that watch Exactly. <laughs> but there's... There's a a, list, a a reader or listener or viewer. I don't know how they consume the podcast um, slash YouTube show. Potentially human? Excuse me, but... <laughs> fucking fuck. Uh, but every time... like They like almost every post we do on the WordPress blog. The WordPress blog, wordpress.com. 
is how we like push the podcast uh that's the feed we put it in and every time we drop a new post this person likes it and it makes me so happy to see their screen name pop up and you made me think of it shadon and i just wanted to shout out (laughs) dirty sci-fi buddha (laughs) 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 because it's the greatest screen name Thank you, Dirty Sci-Fi Buddha, for liking all of our posts. We, you're, the, you're the best. We are. We are not worthy. We are not worthy of this. Uh, oh thank you. Thank you to the sacred, yet dirty Sci-Fi Buddha. Thanks, sir. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Doc is trying not to spit his Doc's pepper out of the Anyway, so. Uh, after more discussion, Ray basically lays out that he will still he'll do this, he'll become Norman's ace in the hole, under one condition which is the thing that he's actually pressed for previously which is, if we are going to, you know, pretend that we're getting all the kids out you dump a lot of them as soon as we get the chance and it's just going to be us free, and you need to convince Emma to do that not, you know not this, you know, wishy-washy shit it has to be, you know us free and that's it and again, he restates his reasons, which is, you know, he knows that some of the kids, rightly, will be a burden. Again, stress. He's like, yeah, if, if we get literally anyone, it's going to be Don and Gilda, Don, Don and Gilda, like Max. I even would argue from his perspective, viewing it from his eyes, that even bringing them along is a liability as the episode will later prove what else gets to the point. 100%. Because uh, we'll get oh, to that later. Boy. Which might also explain why he tried to think, you know, Patsy Don. Because I suspected he was doing it not just because, you know, he was under bottom's pocket or whatever as it turns out to be, but also because it would serve the pragmatic purpose of getting Don sent off for the chop shop so that way he's not going to be, a, you know, the albatross around there next as it turns By the way, anyway. I, I have for some reason in my notes referred to Don as Bobby, and, Bobby? until the very end. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't, Who the fuck is Bobby? I don't I think he, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I can't even tell you. But I've I've referred to him as Bobby until the very end when I scratched it out and wrote Don. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so um, Norman agrees, and there is a moment in which Ray puts his hand on his shoulder and says, "If you're lying," and Norman's like, "Nah, would this face lie? Would this face lie?" And nearly he's already lied before to Emma, but would this face lie? Come on, come on. Ray's face at that point was like very menacing. Yeah, and. I think there's a genuine idea behind that. That well, I mean, Ray was the one who suggested, you know, via hand gesture, that he was going to outright kill Mom and, and Crone if he given if the opportunity presents itself. So obviously, you know, he's not above the idea, at least, of physical violence. And I think that, you know, for someone from his perspective, it makes sense, you know, that he is the ultimate pragmatist, you know, ultimate rationalist, which is everyone who's going to set me back on my goal to, you know, not be turned into, you know, chowder for demons. Uh, they need to get the fuck out of my way, and if they won't get out of my way, I will remove them. And I, I wonder about this, though. I wonder if there's a, I, a crack or two in that facade. I think there is, but we'll get to that when okay. we get talking about Okay. Um, so, conversation ends. I just want to recap two small points about this conversation, though, in terms of direction, uh, specifically music. So, mm. firstly, the OST is really on point, again, as it always has been, with the really sinister, tense music. Um, so... It cuts in and out, those coming back to having the uh, ticking clock uh, that you heard at the very start uh, when there's downtime between the more serious revelations. 
uh, specifically when you have the first block of music happening in that conversation, which is when Norman has the upper hand, and then when you have the second block, which is when Ray comes up. This, again, is the momentum thing I talked about. So not only is the music itself really great, but it's also blocks really. I should also note, by the way, that one of the things I really like about the ticking clock thing is that it persists throughout much of this episode. You'll hear it later when there's the conversation between the main trio and Don and Gilda, um, which is in itself a reminder that, you know, they are kind of running out of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you do see the calendar in a couple of shots in this episode as well. And, of course, we have the dates of the episode titles. So, anyway, the next bit kind of confused me a little bit because I think this is one of those things where the show is playing a slice of hand trick where it's like we're not going to reveal certain things to the audience quite yet in a way that I was mildly irritated yet because, obviously, Norman has some sort of revelation that only pops into his head. Yeah. Um, yeah. Keep mm-hmm. Watch his reaction like uh if, if or, or rewatch it or whatever uh and try to i guess b- based on that i'd be curious what everybody thinks is happening in his head cuz something's mm. happening you're right to pick up on that mm. i mean i mean it um, was like not something to pick up like it was very prominent but it seemed well, like well i guess what i i guess what i mean is like, like i guess what i mean to say is um I mean, you're right. It was very center of the screen. It wasn't a, a hidden thing that you could miss. But um, I guess I'd be curious to just just to know what you got, what you guys think he's thinking about. Like what you know, what he's thinking. I, I don't remember exactly the expression, but it it was either like relief, like oh my god, I know how this is going to get fixed. I know what's going to happen, or whatever. Or mm-hmm. it's when the time comes, I will fucking kill Ray to save everyone. Mm. Oh, oh, he's realized he's missing out on double XP in Fortnite. And he's not playing for his Xbox. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's it. It's, yeah. In his mind, it's like we it's got deleted. a traitor. We've got a fucking. We got a traitor. What's gonna happen? Is he gonna sell us out? Is it gonna happen tomorrow? Is it gonna happen today? Today? What's today? The thirtieth, it's double XP weekend. <laughs> That's exactly the thought process. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, anyway, uh, I do, however, like this thing as a kind of like a wind down from the um, conversation that they just had—the very you know tense discussion in which you know they basically laid out their cards and they're still um, chat. One other thing, you're so right. Oh. This is I was going to point this out, Meg, that um, like everything that is happening toward that we'll get to with with don is directly related to uh this is like the consequence right of not telling him the full truth because Mm -hmm. he's not able to adequately weigh the risks because he doesn't Mm -hmm. have all the information this is yeah indeed indeed so i want to note two more quick things here like first off i like the way this like this time here afterwards I'm not fond of the idea of Norman just having <gasps> and then it could be anything like I pre- I'm not so sure if I'm down with the ab- the show being that abstract for you know playing slight hand tricks like that I appreciate it as just him you know showing his humanity and his you know relief or rather his realization of what he's just dealt with now that he's alone and similarly with Ray he walks out and he's like it's like that. It was a lot. Like this, was, this was, was another was, scene that was quite like. I'm just like, yeah. why don't they just play yeah. Dvorak Symphony Number no. Nine in the background? You know that one scene in Metal Gear Four where Ocelot like kind of just 
runs runs backwards. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How could I forget? <laughs> that entire that entire ten minute cutscene was a cavalcade oh of nonsense. I mean, there's a part. Anyway. Of, there's a part at the end of this whole silent, like back and forth with Ray that I really like. Um, and mm-hmm. like as it's that thing with Norman is like. Once you understand, once it is fully known to all of you what he's actually thinking, and kind of he gets to implement it, like you will go back, and I think you'll be like, okay, yes, I understand exactly why he reacted that way. Like it's it's so man, it's fucking good. And uh, but I just question, like, <laughs> was it the most efficient use of time to do this mm-hmm. whole entire like? Yeah. Uh, oh, the thing is, Ray Ray deal. does go like like he titches at the end. No, he sees Tuss. Yeah, he's so, lo- looking at that picture even... of the three of them, the family yeah. that grew up together. This is the crack in the facade that I was. Yeah, maybe he thinks that that concept of itself is a burden because obviously he's taking it upon himself to you know let <clears throat> uh, to get Ember and uh, Thingy, uh, Ember and Norbert in, uh, but that now is causing him problems. His life would probably be a lot simpler if he simply just yeah, but he up. can't, but he can't not do it. Because mm-hmm. that whole thing about, like, Emma said that we're a family who grew up together, so we're going to stay together. Mm-hmm. And he's, like, thinking to himself as he leaves, like, yes, I've done everything I've wanted to do. Like, I fucking got these people. I'm going to do my plan. And then he sees the picture on the wall, and he's like, God damn it. <laughs> I can't get away from this. We are a fucking family. I can't, like, I can't, like, quit these people, you know? So yeah. Now, one other thing, and this is me really reaching here, so this... Feel free to completely discard this. It's probably cockadilly bollocks, to be honest. But here's the thing, right? How many times have we heard the chess thing brought up in the show thus far? Indeed, it's a chess piece can be seen at the end of the uh, ending uh, outro mm-hmm. uh, underneath all the flowers. But now the, 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 the metaphor has changed, kind of. Mm-hmm. Now, like we haven't seen, we haven't heard the chess thing in a while. Now it's cards. Now it's poker. No. no oh, the aces. No, I don't think. I'm gonna disagree here because here's what I was gonna say. Note the hair color. I know the hair color is a lot to pay attention to here, but oh, you literally yeah. have white and black, and well, of course, what color are the sides in chess? I think and... this is probably the. I love the the blonde side. The blonde <laughs> side goes second. <laughs> that's so... your alternative chess set. Yeah, that's the that's I, the, I, the custom chess set that you carved from a tree mm-hmm. in your backyard. Now, again, this is a, this is probably a big fucking reach here, but I think that the way I see this is it's going to probably be the start of them trying to outfox each other a little bit. Because Ray's now obviously keyed into the fact that Norman's on swim, but they're holding a lot still to you know the chest. So to speak. Like yes. Ray says, Oh, I have various bits of junk and whatnot. What is that junk? He obviously has a lot of information about the tracking devices, but he's still not decided to reveal it all yet. And that <clears> leads <throat> me to wonder why. Like, what's like it's clearly just a functional thing. Like telling them theoretically how they would break, even if they have the tools, surely that can do no harm. Unless it can. So a lot more going on here than you might think. Everybody anyway, like, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that that they all have secrets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, speaking of secrets, uh, Ray decides to go knock on Mom's door and say, so right, I've been a good boy. Can I get my St. Quartz for fake granddaughter, please? <laughs> yes. Need that gacha. Yeah. <laughs> Need to he, roll. He does. Um, now, this scene also confused me a little bit, and I'm thinking this is possibly the abridging material from the manga again. 
Um, I'm referring specifically to how Ray has been commenting, or comments rather, that he's been observing Sister Crow. Now, I'm not saying that he hasn't done that, but rather, I'm going to be quite frank here. So far, apart from the crime of how she's been designed as a character, which is the fault of the animators and the people adapting the show and not the actual, you know, character so far, um, Crow, to my knowledge, has not really fucked up any way on screen. I mean, okay, yes, ranting and raving at a doll, fine. But no one's right. actually seen that that we know of. We right. didn't get the scene that I suggested of like Emma going through the keyhole and going, oh, Jesus, fuck, what is this? <laughs> like, right. So Crone apparently continually fucking up in some way, completely and utterly misfired with me because I was like, when? When did this happen? How did this happen? Is it something that we have seen that is what they classify as a failure, but to us as the audience, we might not think. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'd be, inclined to go, I'd be inclined to think that. Like it's it's more of the like what what Isabella reprimanded her about, you know, mm. stay in your lane, don't don't get ideas above your station kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Quite possibly. But anyway, um Mom reveals that she knows that Ray was actually the one who did point Norman and Emma to the gate that he's she's pieced together the pieces on that. And he mentions that he wants his reward. Other than, no, no, no. Rather than she didn't quite say that. She said that he basically failed to prevent them from going. I don't think she knows that he told them to go. Well, it's that's a minor thing anyway. But regardless, like she has got him down as being at least culpable in some way for their knowledge, regardless of how it happened. Um, Ray says, "You know, I'm just doing my bit. Can I have my reward?" And that's at the point the scene cuts off, and we now move into probably, I would argue, another bloody brilliant example of what the show does that I say, rarely see shows do, which is good use of colour specifically. Like, I can't recall the last time we've done a podcast on Warrior Death Show where I've spoken about colour. At least in terms of colour gradients, colour schemes. Um, I might have spoken it once or twice about the craziness of the character's hair or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. But that's purely an aesthetic thing. Let's talk about it here. So... This is a dream sequence, and this is Norman running through the gate that he's seen previously, which is soaked in water. If you recall, by the way, that one of the noises that was heard um, while they were in the gate in episode one was that of a leaking pipe. So maybe that's an extrapolation from that. That's what his dream... His dreams tend to pick up on figments or fragments of like knowledge um, and experiences that you've had in recent times. So maybe that's that. But regardless, he's running through there, and... He turns around after having said, let's escape with everyone to find that, well, everyone's escapes without him, as in they're dead. Oh, shit. Fuck. That that was some (laughs) terrifying shit, by the way. That was. That was. So let's talk about colour here. Every single person who's on the ground is almost completely the same neutral, very, like, light indigo or even navy Mm colour. Like, very, very faded, with the exception of the flowers that have bloomed from their chest, the same thing we saw with Connie. And this is most striking when we see Emma. Emma's probably, one of, one of Emma's most distinguishing features, if not most distinguishing feature, is her carrot-coloured hair. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would know that because I'm a man who doesn't have any hair, of course, but anyway, that's beside the point. Um, and that in itself is also completely faded. So not only is she dead, but you get the sense that, like, the life and soul of her has gone. Yeah. Like, when we, you know, present people who have died at funerals and such, they still look like them as we knew in life, but this is definitely not the Emma we know. She's gone. I mean, it would probably not have been as impactful if they seemed pretty much alive. I think Connie was presented in, like, roughly a similar manner. Obviously, like, you know, dreams are going to be exaggerated. He's going to see them as super dead. 
life, mm-hmm. like just black and white. Super. Dead. Oh no, I'm Super totally cool. This I think this is fantastic stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ray, yes. however, is funnily enough something to interpret from this dream. He's alive. He still has, you know, the thing in his chest, but he's talking to Norman as this happens. And Barbie thought to myself that this was, you know. Norman's way of still suspecting him because of all the people apart from himself who is alive, it's just him. Even though he is, you know, infected slash whatever with this flower thing. So read into that what you will. Uh, then, then of course, we get blood dripping and holy shit, it's something out of Guillermo del Toro's Acid Nightmares. And Norman, like, <laughs> the eyeball in the mouth. <laughs> yep. So it's cool yeah, with the sands. <laughs> what? What? That makes biological sense. Uh, yes. Anyways, oh, this, this this dream is basically confirmation that uh, Norman is not a Yendir. Because he would not have been worried about that shit. He would yeah. not have been worried about everyone dying and like disappointing everyone. Like, <sighs> doing that kind Sorry, of shit. everyone. Yeah. If he was if he was a psychopath Yendir. Yeah. So the curtains out. No, well, got you. All now. Gotta change our fucking title on the on the Twitter page. Yeah. <laughs> never, Shit. no, that will never change. Yeah. Uh, unless okay. unless he's only worried about them as a function of like his deal with Emma because he knows it's important to her. But it didn't it didn't seem that way. He seemed it, it, genuinely it didn't seem concerned. that way because Emma like shows up later after he's already fucking horrified. Yeah, pretty much. And, like really worried. Yeah, about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, indeed. So uh, Norman wakes up. One quick thing to frame this next bit is you might recall uh, episode two that that started with a dream sequence that was Emma's. Mm-hmm. And this absolutely must be intentional because the following sequence of events up until they then head outside is almost note for note exactly what happened after Emma woke up through her dream sequence, just with some roles switched out. Because you might recall uh, that when Emma woke up, you know, she was looking after the kids and then she walked downstairs. She was still obviously very shocked at what she had just experienced, mm-hmm. and it was Norman who came and patted her on the shoulder. Or rather, Norman, I've sorry, yeah. Norman, uh, like, you know, said hello and patted on the shoulder. Swap this around now. Emma's the one who's saying hello after he's had a traumatic experience, raised one of his It's framed and staged and almost directed very, very similar to that previous one, which I thought was a really nice callback. Fucking hell, this show's immaculate types in there. <laughs> yeah, no, I really, I liked that too. It was, I mean, they can't, they can't just be like crying and hugging each other openly. You know, they gotta no. kind of stuff it down a little bit, but this is like, I'm supporting you. Like, I see you, I'm, you know, I'm gonna mm. do do Thoughts what I can prayers. in the open. Yeah, no, but way more effective oh, than no. that. No, this is actually real. <laughs> this is actually real. <laughs> Fuck thoughts and prayers. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Okay, so, um, kids all go outside. Um, something to note here is that main trio, Norman, Emma, and Ray, head into the woods, and Gilda and Don are left under the tree. And this is actually a little bit of a setup uh, slash, you know, build-up to what happens later, when separated from the main trio, almost subordinated even, uh, that will come into play later when Don decides, fuck what you say, I'm going to do, you know, Fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. He's going to go, you know, full rage against the Zach De La Rocha, yeah. He's channeling his inner Tom Morello and what have you. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> they, go into, they, they go into the woods, and um, burner, this is the point burner, where... God damn it, I haven't thought about Rage Against the Machine in a while. They used to be my favorite band uh, when I was, like, 20 years old. 
they're still pretty good, provided you don't listen to, like, you know... Well, they haven't actually had new material, have they? So mm. I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, no, Renegades, maybe... Renegades of Funk was the last proper release. And then still fucking... Good. I mean, I, I hesitate to say... What's the guy's name? Why can I not think... Chris Cornell. I don't want to, like, bash Chris Cornell because he's recently... Uh, he wasn't part of Rage, though. He was he was but, part of Sound. Yeah, no, no, he no. Part... He he was. Uh, so he took the Rage guys, basically. <laughs> like yeah, I don't know, and, and did Audio Slave, Audio Slave. An infinitely inferior product to Rage Against the Machine, in my opinion. Just because I'm not a Chris Cornell guy, I don't know Apples where you are. Oranges. Yeah, I don't know where you. But right. but I just love Morello. Like so, I wanted to. I tried to force myself to like the band for a long time, just because I was like, mm. I want the Tom Morello like guitar solos and shit. And it just it just wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, what so, are they uh, saying, guys? Please <laughs> help me. I don't understand. Sorry for this n- someone, someone late nineties, early aughts so musical diversion. We're old. A we letter say? through the mail, uh, noting what they're talking about. So I know. Thanks. I just saw the postcard. Um. So they go into the woods, and this is the point where Emma asks, okay, have you had any more luck on, you know, finding out about this tracer thing? And Norman just goes, and Ray's just like, bitch, it was me. <laughs> no, not that, of course. <laughs> not that. I will say this, though. I love the reactions that happened here, because Emma just goes, eh? Is that yeah. she's like a she's, it's not like shock it's not like oh my god it's it's fucking like sorry i i don't understand what? does not compute it does, does not compute happen. which is Absolutely. like which is i think normally how someone would react to that kind of situation yeah yeah like yeah what are you fucking saying <laughs> like huh i mean i was i was quite what? I mean, I was quite surprised at this, because I thought, okay, Ray's obviously going to try and divert as much tension. And no, he's just literally no. driving straight into the fucking storm. Because why would Yeah, because he? he starts he starts going something like, uh, yeah, about that. And like, okay, he, he made something up, you know. We, we don't have something. No, he's like, nope, I did it. It was me. <laughs> it's just a prank, bro. Bro, it's just a prank. <laughs> Psych. Got you there. Um, anyway... Nice, efficient use, by the way, of a cutaway, which is just, you know, the filming film equivalents of, okay, shit, you, the audience already knows to explain to characters off screen because we don't need to repeat it for, like, right. five fucking minutes. So yeah. thank you for that promise, Neverland, for, you know, getting basic shit like that right. Thank I you I always appreciate it. Um, so this is when they have a bit of discussion, you know, about uh, getting Emma's perspective on this. And a couple of things come out from this. First off, Emma makes the assertion, which I think is probably quite accurate, and I have a theory on this, which I'll get to later that Ray, having been burdened with this knowledge, has probably left him very alone. He's probably felt very lonely. Now, how much he ultimately feels that, or is just why it's not cognizant of it, is up to each of us to decide, and may potentially be explored later. Uh, but anyway, uh, Ray himself actually says, I'll help you escape with everything, which you might recall is completely contrary to what he said to Norman. Because maybe he himself recognizes, you know, that no matter how much he bashes Emma's head in with, you know, the stick of rationality, uh, she's not going to buy it. She's not going to buy the fact that you can't carry like thirty kids who are all like under five out. With He's also like low key throwing Norman under the bus here because Norman is mm. the one who has agreed like to really betray her. Like that's mm. the what that's the main condition of Ray staying on their side. Right, is tricking Emma. So at mm. some point <laughs> that confrontation is going to happen. And yep, yikes. Yeah. 
And this conversation then takes a very dark turn because Emma, um, I mean, bear in mind that she, like, she's no slouch herself. She's pretty sharp. Uh, she infers that obviously Ray must have been trying to experiment in some way or another to find out about where the tracking devices are. Yeah. And then, oh. And then she thinks, wait a minute, if he did successfully disable one of these devices... Were there, was this kid subsequently found out? And subsequently, were they then shipped off early? And there's no answer for that. She doesn't Indeed, want to know. <laughs> no, yeah. and, and quite possibly, she instinctually knows that it's true. Hmm. But she ultimately doesn't want to voice out loud or is going to process it later. Yeah. Uh, Emma but... knows everything. Mm-hmm. She's like, dude, oh, like, you know, you've been doing this for so long. And it's like, oh, my God. Uh, and and you know you you want us now to all leave together? That's not like you. But okay, she knows everything. Mm-hmm. As long as you Ray will play along and like help facilitate the situation where we can get everyone ready to go. Yeah, that's all that. I'm promise. That's all that matters. And and promise me, Ray, you will never do something like oh. this again. And Ray oh. says, Ray says, not by the hairs on my chinny chin chin. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like. Bullshit. This guy, it's like I said before, opportunities to push a tiny kid off a cliff so that way they don't have to feed him later. Happening. Happening. So, like, Uh, like, I'm very interested to see if Emma is kind of trying to manipulate him or if she's trying to basically be herself and hope that he changes his mind or that he kind of sees, you know, her way of doing things. Mm Mm-hmm. I, Quite possibly. I I really like that. Um, she kind of it it seems um, and like like you said, a lot of this stuff happens off screen. So maybe she was like really like shocked for a while. But like, I love that she kind of quickly on screen moves past that straight to empathy for Ray. Like mm-hmm. that's a thing that Norman didn't really like. That didn't really happen in that scene. He wasn't really concerned mm-hmm. very much for Ray. Um. But Emma straight away is like, God, that must have been really painful and lonely. Like, I can't imagine kind of what you've had to go through by yourself for all these years. Like, so true to the heart of her character. And I loved that mm-hmm. moment a lot. Mm-hmm. Emma is, broadly speaking, brilliant in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, anyway. For, for being uh, for being in it. For mm-hmm. like yeah. Yes, yeah, she she does pretty well. So anyway, um, we she's get... like you know the the guardian. You know she shows up for two minutes to make sure everyone plays nice. Like, yeah. you know, we are doing yeah. this thing. Just be nice, please. Mm-hmm. It was uh, Manira. So... The her her scary face was better in the manga. I have to say mm-hmm. that that whole scene was superior in the manga. But I mean, most of them are. But that's fine. I mean, they they put it in here, which is what I was. And they had Ray like rubbing his wrists later and like that's all that's okay that's all i want that's mm-hmm. yeah mm. the message so, got across so norman and ray walking back behind emma who's gone a little bit ahead of him and ray says i want to ask you something uh sorry norman asks so i ask you something you said you did get she didn't want to be killed was that because i'll find out next episode god damn it like <laughs> yeah I, I know like here's the thing right i know that there's like this show ostensibly has mystery elements to it, and I'm sure that's part of the core material as well. But part of me, I'm not so sure about this stuff being held back right now, or at least where we don't have 
more hints at what it might be that possibly Norman's thinking about. And I think I think this is possibly a function of the inner monologue being removed. So I remember you mentioning that was a factor. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not making up, I'm enough. So maybe that's a part of that. But anyway, it's minor, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, so like mystery mystery is good, but like lack of communication mystery that comes from lack of communication from just, you know, convenient hiding information from the viewers that they kind of should know that the you know, Norman's not really trying to keep it a secret or anything, so it's like, oh, mm. I'm sorry I'm... I didn't get to finish my sentence. That's not, like, that interesting mystery. Mm. Uh, <laughs> just to respond to Manir in chat, I'm of the opinion that taking out the inner monologue is a good thing in the case of it being a show. In a manga, it makes more sense. But for the sen- for the kind of pacing that you need in a continually moving picture, I think having a character simply sit or s- stand in a single spot and just have them go, well, I was walking down here, and it seemed a bit strange that this person walked, but you get the point. Like, I it would you... probably not good for pacing. I yeah. think there are times and places for it, but not at the, like, the excessive length otherwise. Yeah, I mean, it, the the considerations of length are real, and that's why you'd probably have to trim a lot of it. I think, mm-hmm. I, I'm of the opinion that, like, I mean, I think broadly speaking, I agree with you, but I think it's possible to do anything well. You just have to do it right. Like they could, this is very they could, true. They could do a lot of inner monologues when characters are moving from one location to another, or playing tag or something. Like it's possible, but like you know, they want to move things along. So they could Indeed. have done a lot of inner monologues with Crone. Mm. <laughs> wow. these, these people are very visual. <laughs> yeah, uh, to the show's detriment a little bit in cases. But anyway, um, <laughs> race face. God. That did not happen in the manga. I, I do not recall like evil Ray being a thing at all. Mm. Oh shit! We've got a living bucket in the chat. Shouts to James. Ah, what a what a top uh, last. Uh, all right, French jumping. <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay, back on topic. Back on topic. So Emma says, "Okay, we found something out." Yep, and. Uh, her, that being her and Gilda. I should mention, by the way, there is a scene actually between this, which is uh, Don and Gilda uh, literally being thrown shade on, uh, funnily enough, by uh, the trio, completely by accident because they've been left out of this conversation while they're stood in this tree. Ah, bad joke. You know? um, and Don is like, you know, why are they talking about, like, you know, we need to go save Connor. We can't be sound here. Put that in the back of your mind for a little bit later. This is, um, this is when Gilda should go like, no. No, Don, Don, no. Ah, well, (laughs) well, well. Put that also in the back of your mind as well for when we discuss Don and Gilda later. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so here's the thing, right? Uh, They go back in the house and Emma reveals that she and Gilda have basically mapped out the floor on which mom's uh, washroom and bedroom, oh, sorry, uh, offices. Is it her office or is it a bedroom? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Rooms, two rooms. Two rooms that she uses, bedroom, okay. Mm-hmm. And they've determined that there's a crevice between the two. It is an office. Um, yeah. Um, which Emma believes is a secret room. Now, I'm going to get to this a little later because I want to talk about Emma in specific and how this show um, is actually surprisingly strong at show, don't tell, but I'm going to... So I'll get to that later. But uh, they do indeed determine that's the case. Ray drops the factoid here that we, as the audience, know is true, even though he himself doesn't have any corroborating evidence of it, um, that it's a regularly scheduled checkup system. Like, you know, I ring in from home, say, you know, hey, I'm doing fine. Uh, can I get, you know, like, double pepperoni? 
side strippers, bit of cookie dough. Who are you calling? Like, well, I, I started it was like, okay, you're calling your mother, and then it turned to pizza, <laughs> and then it turned to the sex worker order for, I don't no, know. No, chicken strip, chicken strippers, <laughs> you and your filthy mind, you absolute charlatan. <laughs> I'm just trying to oh, channel yeah. you, the inner you, is all. <laughs> Excuse me, are you, are you saying I'm a whore? Are you saying I'm a, are you saying I'm a man, you know, with vices, shall we say? Yes. And that you're sex positive. You're you're finally accurate. Carry on. All right. Um, Anyway. um, So, they've determined this. And Don starts protesting at this saying, well, we've got to go investigate this room. And obviously, you know, we, the audience, never mind the characters there, can immediately say this is probably one of the stupidest ideas in the history of ideas ever. You know, let's, you know, start playing, you know, William Tell Overture and just go charging in like it's fucking nothing. Great idea, Don. I mean, Ray actually lists out a number of very good reasons why they won't want to do that, such as the fact that they have the tracking devices they previously discussed. Also, there might be other security systems in there. Also, they could open it and fucking Slenderman might come out. There's a variety of problems with this. But, but if we brought this up earlier, and so did chat, if you think Connie is still alive, which Don is laboring under that impression, uh, then that consideration probably rightly should like outweigh a lot of those other logistical considerations yeah i mean i would have expected i would have expected emma to kind of act in a similar way if she thought connie was alive yeah Mm -hmm. come on gilda (laughs) yeah observe observe and report like you gotta be like hey emma's not like pushing for this so i don't know maybe this is just me audience member who knows a lot talking but but Yeah. yeah Uh, but this is the thing, like this. The this down, scene, downside um, of the noble lie, right here. The downside. Mm. This scene, actually, you know, like I've said before a lot of times about the idea of what the audience knows versus what the characters know. And this actually is a really good time for it, for it. And I'll tell you why. Because, correct me if I'm wrong here, but when we did see Mom uh, go into a secret room previously to do her broadcast via a, you know, shock jock ham radio setup, um, that was an attic room because she pulled down the set of stairs. I am right. Am I right in saying that? I was walking um, I'm sure she pulled down. I've, I've, I've vaguely rem- think you're right. You're talking about Isabella? Yeah, Isabella. Yeah, she, the radio uh, apparatus she used was in the attic or what, like a set of stairs. Oh, she pulled uh, down her yeah, she, there are stairs that are used to get where she needs to go. That is accurate. Yeah. So here's the, the thing, the, right? The 1980s you have to, you have to stereo. Phrase it, you have to phrase it as roundabout <laughs> as possible. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I don't want to give anything away accidentally. There yeah. is walking involved. Maybe. She's in a room. She's in a room with a piece of equipment. It's where her secret arcade is, so she can get top scores on Donkey Kong Marble Madness. Marble anyway. Madness. Yes. The God. arcade I go to a lot still has that. That's like anyway. I, I, I see Mom as more of like a rampage person. <laughs> yeah, she plays Lizzie, you know, of course. Fucking giant gorilla smashing the city. Nah, Lizzie plays. It's Lizzie. like, haha! I remember this from my childhood. <laughs> she indeed. Gave, she gave Ray one of the things she gave Ray was uh, the rampage movie on DVD starring The Rock. <laughs> oh, that's not a reward. That's a punishment. <laughs> What, what is this, Mom? You'll like it. You'll like it. Trust me. Did you let them go to the gate? Oh, I have a surprise <laughs> for you. 
I have to force you to watch this now with me. <laughs> yes, yeah. he's locked in the room. <laughs> yep, with a projector. I mean, no, no wonder where Ray's did, where did Ray go? Oh, he's busy. <laughs> what are movies? Um, <laughs> so, the point I'm getting to here is that I noticed, or I recalled, vaguely recalled, and it seems I'm right that you know the radio equipment's in the attic. But this is not the attic setup, of course. This is as as we will find out in a bit behind a bookcase, you know, classic, you know, secret bus case, bookcase scenarios. So I'm immediately thinking, okay, not the radio. What is this? And that piqued my interest. So yeah, I have made, you know, varying complaints and criticisms here and there of, you know, what the audience knows versus what the um, characters know. But I think this is a really good time to do it because it's strictly focused around mystery elements and how you, we, as better informed individuals, um, you know, can use this as a part of intrigue and a part of the mystery. It's not a question if you know characters' experiences being filled states. We know that something's there that's not the radio, and that helps build up attention a little bit. Mm-hmm. What could it be? Could it could it be, you know, mom's secret supply of human flesh that she eats for herself? Mm-hmm. Yes. Could it be that? Could could it be her secret sex venture dungeon? We don't mm-hmm. fucking know. We don't know. But we know that it's not the thing we've seen previously, and that builds that up. So, uh, Ray says to Don, okay. DDR tournament go- location. It's where all the, all the demons come secretly to have their, you know, Indeed. to get their, their dance on. Wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> um, so, Don says to, sorry, Ray says to Don, um, go prepare dinner so that way mom doesn't get suspicious after this conversation is over. Uh, Don decides, fuck you. You can't, you know, I won't do what you tell me. <laughs> Boy, yeah, this... There you go. Yeah. There you go. And he decides to go straight to the room with Gilda. Um Gilda, by the way, just kind of gets caught in his, uh, you know, tailwind, so to speak, and gets dragged along, uh, which I'll get to in a bit because I want to talk about those two specifically and the flaws that they have as characters. They're not present uh, in Emma, Norman, and Ray. And why, while we might, of course, ethically and academically disagree with Ray, he certainly is right to have his concerns at the very least about Don and also argue a little bit about Gilda. Anyway, so they go there, uh, go inside. Don just starts banging on the bookcase, presumably because it's, you know, got, you know, that trashy, Where's the button? You know, young... Yeah, it's got that trashy young adult literature he doesn't care about. It's like, God, it's just a full of copies of Maze Runner. I'm not reading it. <laughs> I hate the Hunger oh. Games. I hate it. Ironically, if you go by Monogatari logic, uh, you know, specifically uh, the, you know, the, what was it? Back in Monogatari, where you know he reads manga to learn about his superpowers, maybe having young adult adventure novels, you know, would actually be a good <laughs> thing to have as preparation for the trials that I was, go through. Yes, I was going to say this is uh, they if they had access to that, they might like uh, more of them might unwittingly think the thought like, what if this is all a charade? <laughs> like, I'm in a simulation. Mm-hmm. So, Emma, so, I think so to speak. <laughs> uh, right. Anyway, anyway, so after Don, like, you know, impotently, you know, starts bashing around the bookcase, Gilda figures it out and manages to pull it aside. She spots says it's like a slot in which she can fall back into. But wouldn't you know, the door into the secret room is locked. And then the door that they came in from starts to open very slowly, cuts to, you know, shock faces from them, credits roll, end of episode. And it's probably the grimmest and shit like that. I don't Fucking Dom and Gilda literally... <laughs> 10 seconds after hey let's not go there it's like fuck i need it now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gil- yeah. gonna happen. gilda showing she's you know 
the brains of the operation, you know, found the room. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Don, like, I like Don less and less. <laughs> just, honestly, like, I never liked oh. him, but man. I mean, I, like, he is, we know he's doing annoying, counterproductive things, but I cannot, I can't fault him for, like, I mean, he really wants to save Connie. Like, I, I feel for mm-hmm. him. I mean, yeah. he's, he doesn't know she's, she's dead. I mean, God. Yeah, maybe it's his fucking room. mom's room where she has pictures of all the children with fucking just red X's on the Polaroids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fed, you know, she has like a list. One of the, you know, she has a blackboard where she pins the things, and like at the top, she writes "Fed to he slash him." Fed to lower class citizens. Okay, no, it's it's, it's not that. It's a list of food items. So panini. <laughs> Stir fry, child, you know, hamburger. Oh no, that's what they would turn into. Um, oh, right. yeah, that's grip. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> All right. I mean, okay. Oh yeah, you do it. Okay, so that's the episode. Uh, I apologize if I glossed over certain elements of the particularly uh, verbose, you know, lengthy conversation between Ray and Norm at the start. There's a lot back in there, so mm-hmm. uh, apologize if I abridged that to, uh, to too much of an extent. Uh, but anyway, talking points. I actually talking have, believe it or not, I have three this episode. Ooh. But I'm happy to hold off for a moment and see if you guys have a, any that you want to throw in. Talking points. What's going to happen next? What's going to happen? Suspense. Suspense. Dun, dun, dun. Like, next it, time on The Promised Neverland. It, it feels too cheap. Because, you know, this is a pretty big cliffhanger. Like, hey, if mom walks in, oh my gosh. You're gonna die, but it's not gonna be mom, and it's not going to be fucking Ray. It's not going to be <laughs> an Emma and be like, "Hey guys, come for dinner." What are you doing in here, what you, you sillies? I told you to stay out of there. Come on, it's no, going no, to it's... Be... close the secret door and get in here and have some burgers. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's gonna be, no, it's gonna be the most terrifying character of all, Onion Kid. Oh my god, Onion Kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's not Phil, is it? They can't. Phil, I they no. can't do that kind of cop out. Like everyone's been saying, "Oh my god, the, the you can't read the manga. It's had so many fucking cliffhangers. I want to die." Well, let me. So, let like, me if they cheapen, <laughs> if they cheapen the cliffhangers, they kind of lose a lot of what they're going to be, or like they kind of lose a lot of kind of tension from what uh-huh. they're going to be doing. In the manga, it's I never. Be crone. I never felt in the manga like that they were just doing it to fuck with me, and they walked it back. It was always like the cliffhangers always led to a substantive thing. Yeah, so um, so it's not going to be Emma. It's going to be Crone. Crone is going to be like, what do you know? Don, like an idiot, is going to be like, are we going <laughs> to save Connie? Well, remember and when... Crone unlocks the door and shows them the Polaroids. Well, Crone, Crone did say, like, I'm willing to help you, Gilda. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I'm on your side, Emma. You know, if you saw the harvest that day. So, I mean, she's... I also she's... predict... She's willing to, like, work with them if it means fucking up Isabella. <laughs> well, let me, um... Slash let him me... is going to be the big dude that summoned the the monsters. He slash him is going to be President <laughs> Obama. <laughs> or something like that. 
we have to get these children to Mr. Obama. <laughs> Wondering what you've been doing for the last year or so. <laughs> is your is your fan fiction memory starting to bleed over a little bit? Here? Sorry, sorry. I I got started, and now a lot of shit's coming to my grave. Uh, oh dear. Um, the thing is, like Vogue, I I actually agree with you. Like, I'm not so fond of cliffhangers in this sense, like because. I like that you, as you rightly said, you know, like I felt at the start of this episode, oh, well, it wasn't something that we, the audience, knew what Norman's actual setup was. It's like, I actually feel that that scene would have been better if Norman had done what he had originally said, which was that he just, you know, put the ropes where he originally told us in episode four, and he had to guess or risk or, you know, bet on Ray being the traitor, as opposed to going for a more cast iron solution. Granted, that doesn't make him as smart as he otherwise is presented. But I am of the opinion that that would make him, that would make the drama much more impactful because he's having to genuinely take a risk. Yeah. So, like, I, I, I at the beginning when I was watching that episode and saw the ending, I was basically like, "Yeah, he's going to basically, like, uh, be like, yeah, you're the traitor." It's like Ray's gonna be like, "What?" And kind of Norman's gonna kind of start walking back on it because he's basically like taking a risk, trying to gauge the reaction, and then. Norman's the car he found out. Oh, fuck. Or something like that. But still, like, that kind of uh, cliffhanger did lead to something mm-hmm. substantial. It did this set up true. a plot. And, and it's, it's, it's more like, okay, would you have rather the episode ended, like, before they even said anything? Or, like... They just looked at the door. They, it, and then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm speaking more of the follow-through here. Um, yeah. But the reason I bring this up is because... The Promised Neverland was a manga. Um, I don't know what the release schedule for the manga was. Weekly. But here's the thing. Weekly. Mm-hmm. There we go. Okay. So how many shows have we collectively watched that were based on manga adaptation? The one that immediately springs to mind that's going up, <laughs> going up right now is JoJo's Part 5. And obviously, of course, all the that's previous shows. One that's one-to-one with the chapters. Like, pretty much yeah. one-to-one. Mm. Yeah. So, In most cases. To me, I think that, you know, because manga as a format, it's predicated on week-by-week sales in the same way comic books are. That's my understanding of it. I could be wrong. Um, and yeah. obviously, it just depends. You know, some of it is, and some of it, the release, like, the release windows vary, depending on, like, mm-hmm. the magazine that, that the, they're published in. Mm-hmm. So, here's the thing, right? Um, I understand, as a manga writer, that you might want to use cliffhangers, not necessarily because they might be inherently good for the story, but moreover to you know, get people excited for the subsequent release, be that the following week, the following month, the following fortnight, however long it may be, or the following course decade, if you happen to be a Ken Shiromura <laughs> yeah. fan, but that's not even all that. A berserk anyway, reader. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's not even all that. So I understand their function as a method of trying to preemptively or proactively build up um, sales of the next chapter. That's fine. And that doesn't mean they, they're not inherently bad either in terms of the story. But when you have it converted into a show here, in which I'm obviously paying a flat subscription rate to watch this, or it might very well be airing on public TV in Japan, however it pans out, it may, in my opinion, be best to drop cliffhangers like that or possibly develop them in a different way. Uh, <laughs> uh, killing me. Uh, I can't I concentrate on what Shadon is saying. I was going, I was going somewhere there. Okay, so, so back on track. Um, my point basically oh. is that, like, like with JoJo's, like, you know, that stops, like, you know, at the, at the most tense moment of a stand battle, as you would expect. 
Mm-hmm. Even one of my favorite anime of all time, Land of Lustrous, has done this. Because holy shit, I've read up to the end of Volume 7, and that cliffhanger is a complete ball buster. Uh, I've had it happen with fucking Steinsgate, although that merely was not a manga. Uh, but I did only get to watch up until the end of Episode 12. And I had to wait six months, because I hate myself, and it was a fucking struggle to, you know, wait for that cliffhanger to be resolved. So cliffhangers, I'm not inherently averse against... But I do think that if it is just simply for shock value or scare value, as opposed to, like, character drama, as it was with Ray and Norman, those are the moments where I'm far, far less interested in them conceptually. Like, they feel very cheap to me. And again, the show hasn't quite yet done the cheap, the cheap, like... um cliffhangers at all like all of them kind of led into something all of them like either kind of gave insight into what characters are thinking or like the kind of struggles the characters are going to have to deal with and resolve in the next episodes or they set up something that's gonna fuck things up and i went into that kind of like what's gonna happen thing specifically because the show has kind of gave me these expectations Mm-hmm. Indeed. So right, um, logically, it has to be Crone because they've been consistently fine. We'll, we'll whoever, see. whoever it is, is going to go through the door and just be like, "When did this door become garbage CG? <laughs> this door looks terrible <laughs> all of a sudden." <laughs> oh, it's going to look like uh, opening a door in Resident Evil One. Oh, Jesus. Like, it just shows the door and nothing else. It's all black. And, <laughs> and like, the, the camera is, like, bobbing up and down. Footstep sounds are playing. I'm, I'm, just are for Chrome, so like, I'm just waiting for Chrome's, like, 2D animation to clip through it. Yep. Like, <laughs> yeah. the elbow. Elbow. Like, elbow. In, like, the original Half-Life or some shit where you can see arms popping through. Um, well, do you have anything else you want to add on that point, Vaughn? No. Okay. Um, uh, you have a talking point. Yeah. Uh, one or two things have been popping into my mind. Um, well, this one is the fastest one to to mention, uh, and that's whenever uh, th- there's so many things about the conversation scene between Ray and Norman that I feel like are worth pointing out. Like one being that like Ray made all those weird, horrible faces and like. <laughs> moved from like one end of the bed to the other all while having his legs crossed i think that's important to point out (laughs) his legs are crossed the whole time it's hard to do a bunch of shit when keep your legs crossed by the way (laughs) like i don't know if you ever tried that but you should try maybe just yoga apparently so yes mom i want a yoga mat that was one of his his (laughs) asks uh and now i need you know uh I don't know, Jillian Michaels uh, four-week yoga plan on DVD, please. Um, Mm. And then uh, the thing I really liked that I thought was actually really well animated was there was a cut when Norman, after he told Ray that he wasn't lying, that he's telling the truth, like, he just looks so tired, like, he just kind of like... I'm not lying. I'm not lying. And like gets up from his, he was sitting on the bedside table and like that animation I thought was pretty awesome. Like suddenly, Mm -hmm. like in an episode with not a lot of animation, like he just was like full body, like fluid, like Mm -hmm. shifting of the weight and the hair. And like, I was like, wow, like this is, uh, this is really good. (laughs) Suddenly. It 
it's all too easy, I think, like in any medium or any visual medium to simply have visual novel style things where character A, character B, shot, reverse shot, you've seen it all before, um, that kind of thing. But obviously put a lot of thought into gestures, mm-hmm. maybe perhaps a bit too much, funnily enough, mm. with the facial expressions. Right. But certainly I prefer that there is a lot of motion. I mean, you can see it right now, even though obviously we're not in the same room, I am very heavily gesticulating as I'm talking. And I have been doing it all the time. Uh, it's a big part of how we communicate. So it's mm-hmm. good that they captured that in their interactions. For sure. Um, and the the final point I had is also probably we can hit really quickly. And that's that that conversation to me. And, and I know we've been talking about this off and on throughout. But it was more evidence that I know we're going to say Norman is not a Yandir. I know we're off the Yandir Island here. We've we're we're we pulled back from full Yandir, but uh, I thought it was interesting that when whenever he's pushed by Ray or whoever on this, like, look, man, we just need to escape. Just just us, just the big kids, the eleven year olds, and we can do it. We don't need to be moving this dead weight around. Norman always seems to fall back to like. Um, this is what Emma wants to do, and I believe in Emma. Um, he never is like this is the right thing to do, or the, in fact, a lot of times he says like I actually agree with you, Ray. But guess what? Um, Emma wants to do something different, and she's convinced me. Like I want to believe in her. I want to believe in this idea of family, in this idea of all of us looking out for each other and all of us going together. Um, so, well, yeah, Norman, not fully Yandir, but like also he's not like this person who's like bursting with a lot of empathy. I don't know if I'm going to mm-hmm. like go put myself out there and be like, Norman is a sociopath. Like, but I mean, other people have said that in chat and like, I mean, I, I sort of, I see where have they're coming the from. Have you seen the other guy? Yeah. I see the other <laughs> right. Yeah. No, but I, but I sort of good. see I sort of see like I guess in a way what they mean in that like if he if he wasn't so kind of um invested emotionally in Emma and making her happy and uh making sure that she's cared for and protected like would he be exactly the same as Ray? Like I don't know. Like probably so this he's, is, this is he's like changing. Time. He's like changing for her, or he's yeah. making an effort to like mm. to. But he's like putting all of his hope in Emma, and yeah, it just I think is revealing about like kind of who he is. I guess he's not like mm-hmm. it's it's not one of those things where he's like I believe in this now. You know what I mean? Like sometimes, like if we if we have an older brother or a friend or whatever, like you argue a position with them, they convince you. You know, you come over to their side and you're like, yeah, like, I'm one of you now. Like, I advocate this. Like, he's never been that way. He's he's still very much like, I hear what you're saying, Ray. Like, I'm with you. Like, it, that makes the most sense to me. But I just still can't do it because mm-hmm. it's not what Emma believes. Indeed, one might have to ask, maybe, you know, Norman needs to decide what he personally believes as the yes. story goes on. This is the one time, please note this, uh, 12th of February, okay. <laughs> whatever time it is right now. 2018, the year of our Lord, Mr. Obama. 
I agree with Trickster721. I don't think... <laughs> Norman is capable, but he lacks any agency. He has no idea what he wants, no ideal or goal of his own to work towards. I'm directly quoting, yes, he's clinging on to Emma's idea. He's clinging on to like her optimism and to what she wants to have. And what she sees for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Norman of the three, I would argue, is certainly in terms of raw intellect strongest, but he is literally pretty much that. And yeah. the other two have the elements that will be the push and pull, the momentum again. Ray's pragmatism, again, not unfounded or cruel pragmatism, just honestly the truth. It is true that they would be a bit versus Emma's, you know, moral and ethical standpoint that, you know, we can't leave them here to die. No, no, you know, a good soul never leaves a man behind, that kind of thing. Which I'm also totally on board. It's a difficult thing. It's a dilemma. Yeah, I don't... both of them have viewpoints yeah. that are very valid. I'm not sure he lacks agency. Like, I wouldn't go that far. I think, well, he, well, I, I think he just has... Entirely, a... Sorry, go ahead. you go ahead. I would entirely agree with you, and I'll tell you why, because we've literally seen the moment in which he took it upon himself to actually, you know, honey trap Ray with the fucking rope thing. So there's right. your evidence that he has agency. Yes, definitely, right definitely. But I'm, I'm saying, like, in terms of his own motivations, in terms of his own, like, beliefs and stuff, he kind of clings ah. to what Emma... I, I wouldn't say he doesn't have agency. He basically took it upon himself. I was just quoting, but, yeah, mm-hmm. just, like, he basically took it upon himself to kind of come up with the entire escape plan. He kind of took the initiative on a whole lot of stuff, and Emma is, like, the kind of moral guidance, more like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I, I sort of see him as, um, like, he's he just has this dilemma. Like, he's he's got two kind of opposing forces. Like, he he wants different things, and he's having a hard time deciding... Um, or no, he, he's not actually having a hard time. I think he's made his choice. Like, I think, mm. like, you know, Sophie says, like, I'm not sure if Norman is actually in love with Emma. And, like, you know, b- being that they're 11, it's hard to, like, suss all that out. But, like, I do know he cares for her very deeply. And, mm. like, that's the most important thing to him is, like, making sure she's happy. And you can have that. I think you can have that bond with someone, whether or not it's romantic love, when you're 11 years old. So, like, mm-hmm. I think that's his kind of guiding light, and he's having to shove down his instincts that are more in line with what Rays are. But I think he kind of know he's already made his decision of, like, the thing that he wants to do. And I think that's okay. Like, I don't think that that makes him a lesser character because he is trying to make someone else happy. Like, it's a decision he's made uh, to, to make her happy. Like, that's his own autonomous thing he's decided is the most important thing to him mm. is, is Emma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Right. So I've got three talking points. Let's get started. Bring it. Um bring it. So I'm gonna start with Emma here and I want to talk about the concept of show and don't tell. Uh I'm not gonna tell you all what show don't tell is because funnily enough that would funny, I would actually violate it. But um you I'm assuming that you all know as a literary concept what that is. Now here's the thing, right? You might recall, if you watched our banana fish streams, I actually got kind of agitated at various points at two specific things kept happening with Ash. One of which was we kept getting told that he was like an animal. And I'm like, thank you very much for pointing out the obvious. I don't need to be told that 20 fucking times. He's like a like a tiger or a panther or some other big cat. Snow leopard. Like, that, that's entirely clear by his actions and his reactions to the events around him. Please don't, please stop that. 
it's really unnatural. Are you slandering banana too. fish right now, by the way? I slandered it by then. You can go check the stock he streams, you. <laughs> How that dare you? Is there. How dare evidence you? Is there. Uh, but the second thing I wasn't quite happy with was the fact that they kept banging on about telling us how he's smart. And the thing is, this was long after that had been proven as a point by all the various things he did, how he's outfoxed the villains at various occasions. So here's the thing, right? You can violate show, don't tell on certain occasions, particularly if it's to mislead characters, but not the audience. And I will say this, right? You might think this is not true, but when we first saw in the first episode that our three main characters doing that test and being told that they were resultantly very smart, that was pure tell. That was not show, because we, as huh. the audience, have no fucking right. clue right. what that test involves. Mm -hmm. We have no idea about the mechanics of it. It could literally be, you know, scanning tins of Campbell's soup barcodes very fast, like they're working in a fucking supermarket. Great. So here's the thing, right? We've had demonstrating moments for Norman and Ray literally at the start of this episode and prior of their insolence. But Emma, Emma comes out and proves her own sharp set. Now, I'm not saying that she wasn't sharp before. Obviously, she was. But what I really appreciate this is not only is it that when she's, you know, and Gilda decipher the origin of the secret room, mm -hmm. not only do we hear their reasoning on it, we get a diagram of it, we get a very practical and reasonable explanation that makes logical sense. You could use that theory to figure out if there was a secret room, or even just a, you know, a wall or something in your own home if you felt so inclined. I'm not saying obviously you'll find, you know, a secret sex dungeon or some shit in there. I know what I'm doing uh, when I get back home tonight. <laughs> uh, apologies for those of you who do have secret sex dungeons, and in case I just happen to rat out how to find them, or, you know, check them in your friend's houses. Yeah, I've got uh, a I mean, yeah, the show could have been like, well, a boomerang did it. I know, yeah, that's Sherlock. You know exactly what I was referencing there. Um, that's the point I was getting to, which is that I really appreciate the time it's taking here to remind us not only is Emma, like, Emma's primary character trait is her heart. She is the actual mother of the, of the ranch. The mom up there, no, not even, not even remotely. She is the true mother, if not, you know, biologically, but certainly in spirit and the way she treats the kids and adores them, who they are. But that does not mean that she's also not one of the top scorers. And here we get actual evidence of it presented to us in a way that is very clearly explained to the audience. It makes sense. It engages us. And on top of that, it makes us like the character more. Mm -hmm. So I really, really, really like that. I really appreciate the time it took. It's not that these kids are smart because we're told it because of this nonsense, you know. We are actually shown it. Absolutely. Like Emma has, Emma has been when I, when I mentioned like Norman basically kind of took the initiative to figure out all the shit, and mm. figure out the escape plan and everything. It's like yeah, it's basically been Norman doing a lot of shit, and Emma is basically still the moral guidance, like the oh let's you know, we're doing good, let's do the nice. Also the will, also the will to. To push through the shit. Yeah. It's 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 pretty amazing to see Emma kind of take a more sort of brainy role or kind of have some more like representation mm -hmm. in the show other than just she's the nice person and right. she can mm -hmm. run fast. Absolutely. That's yep. my point. We yeah. want more Indeed. Emma. Like Dude, it's it's, it's not been enough Emma. She's so good. She's the best. Yeah. Like that's and, and I really enjoy how they've shown like kind of they're 
episode upon episode, they're kind of expanding on everyone's personalities. They're kind of showing how they deal with, you know, stress or they're kind of showing how they deal with other people, motivations and everything. So I'm pretty happy to see that finally also extend to Emma. Even um, another, I guess, like, here's an advantage the manga has, right? And bringing all these character traits home is that um, even uh, the panels that are like this is chapter one or whatever this is chapter four like they're these images that don't happen in the story but a lot of times they're like you know emma like powering through and like reaching her hand down into a pit and like that is her fucking character in a picture like Mm -hmm. that determination painted on your face that like reaching down to grab the last Mm. person like that's fucking emma but like and you get that in one picture and then you're back to the story. And so, like, almost subconsciously, you're getting these, like, layers upon layers of, like, re- repetition about, like, you know, different aspects of the characters that um, mm-hmm. I guess you just kind of don't get in the anime. Um, I mean, you get other things from the anime that you don't get in the manga, but but I love mm-hmm. those. So, wait, uh, you're, telling me, you're telling me the manga has basically, like, the kaiji visual metaphors? It can do, yeah, in between the chapters. Yeah. <laughs> the chapter introductory Gosh, pages. I um, love those. <laughs> um, I'm I'm just gonna throw out there, like in terms of like female protagonists in anime, like I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I think generally speaking that women get the shaft as far as female characters go in like anime in general. How many shows can I point to that I've watched personally where Oh fuck. Anyway, let's not gain stats territory. Revisit rather, the Zyvox reviews for that. Please no. Please no. For a variety of reasons. Anyway, and, and also really... and also watch Kaiju. Yeah. Kaiju's Either. really good. You know, if you, you have good. the show don't tell, Kaiju's like hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll show you my beer. You want internal monologue. <laughs> we'll fucking step it up. <laughs> mm. Indeed. So I have to say, like, it's Whole actually story really embarrassing. Lines. People said, sorry, go ahead. I, I have to say, like, it's really Fucking embarrassing. so many tangents in Kaiji. Oh my god, where have I seen that before? Mm. So, I have to say... Like, the action it, is interrupted like, all the time. <laughs> yes. your, face is, your face is good right now. Please continue. Please go ahead. Please go ahead. Thank you. So... I was just trying to say, like, I think that it's actually kind of embarrassing that Emma is such an effective and interesting and likable female protagonist, and she's not even fucking old enough to rent, you like, you know, even the most tame DVDs from the local blockbuster, assuming that's still a thing. Right. But anyway, you get my point. All right, so, talking point numero two. Okay. Numero two. Um, let's talk about Don and Gilda. Now, I think that, you know... The show has actually done a nice job without spelling it out so far of showing their weaknesses. Now, okay, yes, Don is obviously very, you know, I want to find Connie. Connie, Connie, Connie. Where's Connie? Connie, Connie, Connie. Blah, 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 blah. Um, but Don's other weakness here is that in it's, it would be a strength of a wise, but his weakness is that he actually breaks away uh, from, you know, the instructions given by the group at the end of the episode, which is don't go to the secret room. It's super fucking dangerous for a variety of very obvious and very, you know, understandable reasons. He's going off half cocks. But there's a contrast here, because Gilda goes with him. Now, this might sound a little odd given the previous scene in another episode, but bear with me, I'm going to explain this in full. Okay. 
I think Gilda's fault is that she's too easily swayed to follow in the directions of others. Now, hold your arse to say, because you might be saying, what about the time she was with Crone? And I would say, good point. But the thing is that that was her fighting back against someone and not mm-hmm. following the footsteps of someone she's always friends with. Yeah, everybody um, indeed, everybody has she like, wasn't um, like friends with Crone. She she yeah. doesn't like like Crone. There's no reason. Well, that's what for that's what like. that's what that's that's why I mean though. Yeah. Like that's why I'm saying yeah, so, so it, it doesn't it doesn't count. There. Pre- it's, no, it's no, pressure, was, not peer pressure. But I was but I was prefacing that because I thought people might bring. Yes. It. So yeah. anyway, okay. No, we're saying so, you're right. You're totally on point here. Yeah, I think. that's, right, that's okay, what we're saying. Okay, so like I'm liking how this is starting to build up because not only do we have like you know now the other lie coming along of you know. You've got to tell, you've got to deceive Emron. But we also get to see ways in which Don and Gilda will become liabilities in their own right. Um, without actually having the characters actively again tell us about it. We can infer this from the behaviors we see right here. Yes, it is incredibly blindingly obvious that they made a complete goof, you know, going to that room. But in the long term, their character attributes are going to become a factor. Like, how many times will Gilda have an idea? Which, you know, she might think, this is genuinely a bad idea, but I'm not going to speak up because I'm afraid of stepping out of line. There's your thought. Or how many times is Don going to argue the point against, you know, the group when they have a very good reason to take a course of action and not the one that he's suggesting because he's driven either by his emotions or something else? So not only is this, you know, good in in episode moment of like, holy shit, they really fucked up, but it's again setting the stage for what's going to happen with the characters and their interactions later without actually, again, explicitly step spelling it out. I mean, we had that moment where, you know, like, there was this switch, like, this character, like, Chrome says, Chrome, funnily enough, says, you know, <laughs> uh, this is your weakness, this is your weakness, etc., etc. I didn't mind that so much, by the way, because that was her trying to taunt Emma, by the way, and not us, not being spelled, it's the audience. So, short point, but I liked it. And finally, let's yeah. talk about, you know, let's talk about, you know, uh, the Death Arcana himself, fucking Ray. Let's go. Let's get into him. <laughs> what was his name in Persona Three? Ryuji. Uh, Ryoji. Ryoji. God, I, yeah. Yeah. I don't remember what the kid was called, but okay, who cares? Anyway, <clears throat> anyway. So, um, Death Chan. <laughs> Meg, Meggy Moon. Uh, shouts to you in chat, Meggy Moon. Said this before, and this was actually something I was going to bring up, but I've got to create them first by pointing out in chat because they got to. Well, I said it. Let's talk about Ray, Ray, and how he acts. Now, in the show thus far, we've seen Ray often, you know, sitting under a tree by himself reading. He rarely, if ever, deigns to interact with us. And this revelation that we've had about his history has now retroactively explained all that in a way that I found incredibly satisfying. Because as Megumi rightly pointed out, and just to expand on that point a little if you, as a young kid, a smart young kid, know that the truth of this environment where these kids could potentially be shipped off at any time, why bother socializing with them? Why bother getting attached to them? You know they're going to be turned into turkey burgers later. Why the fuck would you bother? And this also then explains why he's actually possibly formed a little bit of an attachment, even if he might not want it, with Emma and Norman. Because he knows how the mechanism works. High scores, you save them for later. They're not, you know, the they're not, you know, the junk food, you know, that gets turned into, you know, Big Macs. They're the good stuff, the prime, you know, the uh extra special range from Tesco if he happens to be British. Um, so obviously he might feel that he can let down his defences a little bit because he knows that they'll be around for a bit longer. And indeed, maybe that also is why he's now done this, because he knows their time is coming. 
But on top of that, consider also the environment they're in. When we first saw them and they were doing the test, it was announced publicly that the three of them were the smartest kids. So obviously, even if he doesn't want to, he's still being grouped with them mm-hmm. by the by mom as, as a teacher role. So I really, really like how, again, without spelling out explicitly, this is all inferable from it, that you can understand Ray's behavior and his pragmatism as the results of his, you know, early burden of knowledge that he's found out, like, you know, oh, we're all going to be turned into fucking hamburgers. So why should, you know, first off, I'm number one, I'm not getting turned into hamburgers. Two, can't, you know, rely on anyone else or otherwise get attached to them um, because they are going to go. So, again, another real death point in the writing here, which is, we're not going to spell out explicitly to you, but we will allow you to infer in your own time mm-hmm. and allow it to, you know, fully, or at least adequately explain at this point his psychology and his thinking but this is the thing as you've said there are cracks forming here indeed norman's pointed out as well you know why would you do this yep because if you want to be the ultra pragmatist here ray should have never done this in the first place no and told them regardless his if his survival is so paramount to the expense of all others that is a mistake undoubtedly and indeed he has been called out for said mistake as well so i'm very, I'm going to be very curious to see, much like again the pendulum swinging back and forth, how much over time Ray might actually develop into, like, if not a fully, but a regular normal kid who can associate and engage with others. Mm. I mean, obviously Norman's got that thing for Emma we mentioned here. And I'm not saying that Ray may necessarily feel the same way, but will he start forming connections? Will he start, you know, emphasizing with people, even just yeah. a tiny little? Will his behavior that should otherwise imply pragmatism be dropped for just a tiny little window? Can you escape having, like, bonds with your family members if you are being raised in a loving home? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, can you escape those tentacles? Even Uh, even on a pretense. Even even if you're like, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it, no, fuck it, fuck it. But it's like year upon year of, like, morning, Ray, hug, Delicious oatmeal, together time, singing songs. Yeah, and really, like... <laughs> really, the time spent together is a lot of, a lot of it yeah. here probably because mm-hmm. they're the only children that are this age. These are probably the only familiar faces he has had in a very long time, like the only ones that haven't been cycled out, the only ones that have been constantly in his life. Yeah, uh, it's it makes a lot of sense why it would be that way. You made me mm-hmm. think of something when you were talking. This is um, this is, may not be related at all, but. Um, and you might have mentioned it, and I just missed it. You know, at the beginning, when Norman and Ray are talking, um, and Norman is sort of running down why he suspected Ray, like why he even looked into it. Like, mm-hmm. so when you're talking about Ash in Banana Fish, right? We talk about how he's so incredibly smart and great at reading people, right? He's like, I perceive these, like, things about you the person or like these flaws in your character and so i that's sort of not what's going on i don't think with norman like norman isn't like a super genius and like ah i can see through ray's plan based on like these imperceptible things that no one else would know like it's almost like he started to investigate ray as a product of these math tests that they're making purely academic he was like yeah who who will cause us the most harm and who would like help benefit the enemy the most if they were uh to flip right Mm -hmm. and so ray and so he set a 
He's like, well, I need to have a contingency for Ray, I guess. And so he did it, and then Ray like walked right into it. Like I, I thought that was brilliant. Like just thinking about that, like it's a like a, I guess, I don't know, just a way to like make the kids smart without making them seem like annoying Sherlock Holmes characters. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. No, um, so I really, really like that. How only is this revelation good for just the pure tension of it? Um, and, you know, the future self of potential conflict between Ray and Norman, plus them laying out the cards for each other, what Ray knows. Um, it's also good for helping to retroactively explain his character. Because yeah. Ray, otherwise being, otherwise being, you know, the uh, antisocial loner who's obtuse and introverted, on its own, I think, if it had not been given adequate explanation or even just a token bit of explanation, bear in mind this is a fairly clean and sterile environment which they're all raised in. It's not like it came from a different household. That would have probably graced on me after a while, I will confess. Um, but the reason I'm bringing all this up now is because I want to lead to my final thing here, which is to say that I'm going to be quite honest with everyone here. I was really enjoying Promised Neverland. But I was enjoying it on a technical level. I was enjoying it as a, as a work of execution, both in terms of how its writing was executed and its direction, its sound, etc. But like I said at the very start, like I said when comparing with Yasmin Knight, I was struggling a little bit to find an emotional connection. Hmm. Now, don't mistake me here. The, the 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 threat they face is very real and it's very genuine and it's pants-shittingly terrifying. I get that. Mm -hmm. But for me, what the Promised Neverland needs to deliver on to be truly brilliant is to have interpersonal group drama, mm -hmm. dilemmas, moral decisions, ethical decisions, questions of like, you know, right, fox in the road, you know, we only have X amount of food. We have Y amount of people. Can we feed everyone? That kind of stuff. Who gets what? That kind of thing. This episode was the first episode that started to deliver on that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a fair thing for me to say because I, like, I'm like i not expecting like episode one to do that. Can't, not every show can be Gatman Knight. Not everyone can do that. That's a lot to ask. It is a lot to but, ask. And it is also, you know... Gatman what? I mean, Gatman... Who knows? <laughs> Never seen it. Fuck it. Whatever. Uh, but... But, um, like, this obviously is, you know, a long-running uh, show, uh, sorry, a long-running piece of fiction uh, that's going to be going, in terms of the anime, at least after the first season concludes. Don't know if we'll even see a season two. I mean, my prediction, true or false, will be that the first season will be the breakout, and then the following season will be the aftermath thereof. So it's understandable it's going to be a bit of a slow burner at the start, but I'm very, very happy to see it start to deliver on this and also set the stage for future events such as, you know, the second deception. We have the first deception of Connie being alive. We have the second deception of Emma, you know, uh, now not being lied to, you know, like about taking all the kids out. We have Don and Gilda being the wild cards and the weak spots now added into this board group, uh, who in themselves are also not truly being genuinely involved, like when we have the separate meeting in the woods. Like, there's a lot of interpersonal drama and potential for that. There's a powder keg being stacked up here at long last. And a little bit of that went off this time with Ray and Norman, while still saying up more of that later, of which I was really, really appreciative. So, color me like fully engaged with this now. Like, awesome. I'm really, really, I'm really, really up. So, uh, that concludes, I believe. Don confirmed to have a heart of bricks. Because <laughs> I cared about the children in about like two minutes in. Well, you misunderstand. Like, I, I did care about them. But I'm saying, like, you know, it need. I'm saying that there's but levels I, of care. 
I thought this show was wonderful for, and I, I thought like basically all of the stuff that it implied, even from the first couple of episodes, uh, do elevate it as long as yeah. it kind of delivers on that. Indeed. Awesome. So uh, that's the end of the, our discussion of this episode. Uh, don't, do we pop any polls at any point? Yep, we have a couple polls. I will. Oh, check those out. I will read them. Uh, whenever the results decide to load, uh, waiting. Why well, I don't know why the internet is being so fucking slow, but suddenly it is. Is, is. is someone possibly scripting, you know, entering results into them as we speak? <laughs> possibly. Uh, here are the polls for episode beep, five. Beep, 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 beep. Ah, sorry, my computer noises. Sorry, I'll mute them. <laughs> <laughs> which which is which is the best Ray face? Uh, so far, one hundred percent of the votes have the "I am the traitor" face. And uh, no one has voted for I'm not the traitor, which might be the one I'd pick. That's the, the dash Maybe underscore it. dash face. Maybe uh, it wasn't me. <laughs> Next <Maybe>. put. <laughs> A Muppet has snuck into the studio. Uh, <laughs> oh, God would, damn it. Would you ever disobey Emma? 67% say fuck no. 33 say maybe I'd try. But yeah, 67, I think, are going to, their arms will be safe and unbroken. Uh, the, you know, when I, when I voted, when I voted in that, the percentages were basically opposite. Like sixty-seven, were like, yeah, maybe. There and then the script, and then the scripting like, happened. Like, so there we go. What the fuck, fools! <laughs> you people have hearts made of bricks. Well, I, I, well, speaking as someone who has no heart, period, I'll weigh in on that and say that I am of the opinion that if there is genuine reason to go against Emma's opinion, because it will genuinely getting them fucking killed or severely hurt, then you should. No, Shadon, hair, not heart. Hair, different. You start to say that the same thing. I lost them both simultaneously. It's a complete reason. But yeah, like, that again ties back into the drama thing. Like, I'm actually okay with that conceptually because that will, in of itself, if executed well, be interesting to watch and tense to watch. Like, Emma's principles are certainly going to be tested at some point, I'd imagine. Yeah, oh, you would. Normans. Yeah, you would. Like, I, I think we talked about this earlier that it's just, it's really setting up this dichotomy of uh, utilitarianism, sort of moral. Like, I think that came out. I think it came out of Britain. It's a moral philosophy that's very much about like, uh, well, the good thing, the best thing is the thing that grants the uh, most amount of happiness or conversely the least amount of pain to the greatest number of people versus uh, Emma's uh, more deontological system of ethics, which is very much like it doesn't really operate in terms of good and bad. And there are things that are more and less good and bad. Emma seems to be operating under the notion of right there's right and wrong and to leave these kids behind is wrong. Therefore we must yeah. abso- absolutely not do it. Yeah. Uh, for Emma, it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter if there was say the amount of kids that are there now, like four dozen or however they are, 500, yeah. 2000. It wouldn't matter to her. She would try and get, take them anyway. Yeah. Um, no, no one must suffer. But, and that will be but, tested uh, as we go further along, right? Like you're saying. Ha- having 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 said that, though, I'm wondering: Would Emma, if they run into like a different farm, would Emma want to save those children? I would probably say so. You would. You I would don't think suspect, so. but I don't. I yeah. It's I don't know. That's that's the the, the, the interesting bit. Mm. I think for me, I think for me, like the way I see it is that she would at very least consider it. 
I think that she would certainly voice yeah. the idea, mm-hmm. even if ultimately it isn't followed through on. Yeah. That's the kind of person she is. But I must stress, like, you know, like, it's okay for Emma to be wrong in this show. I'm not saying I want her to be wrong, because ultimately I very much fall in line with her idea in that, yeah, pragmatics be damned, everyone should have the chance to live. And if you don't, if they all die, at least they got to die giving the demons this little fucking middle finger of, yeah, we're not going quietly into the night. Yeah. So, I'm okay with being wrong, because it has to be used for narratively justifiable purposes rather than, ah, she fucks up, look at that. Yeah, any any true kind of leader, you know, and, and just whether or not she is, like, the full brains behind the operation, like, in terms of, like, Ah, the, the moral compass and the will to rally the troops and push that like i feel like she's kind of the de facto leader and and any story about a leader like that like her leadership has got to be tested at some point she's going to fail yeah. um and indeed, how, me, how does she bounce me... back from that you know indeed let me throw out a random reference here you might be uh thinking what the fuck is he talking about if you've not already been thinking that just saying uh so let's talk about star trek the original series yeah we're going now, Here, oh fuck! Sorry, not that one. Original that one. series? Oh my god! I... Yeah. Okay. Now here's the thing about the original series, right? Three principal characters: Kirk, Spock, Bones. And in a lot of episodes, <laughs> is that a complete what? sentence or? <laughs> <laughs> it could be. It could be. Kirk, uh... Bones, Spock. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that's happened in some I slash fic. I see what you do. Although whether or not it's a, two, <laughs> whether or not it's a, whether or not it's a twosome or a menage a trois depends on the fic. I'm sorry, I'm anyway. a child. I have nothing to contribute <laughs> to this wonderful analysis of this show. So please okay. continue. Okay, so little quick story time. I actually recently rewatched uh, the original series episode Balance of Terror uh, when I was on the plane to sh- coming back from Chicago. Uh, I'm not going to go into length because we're not ultimately reviewing the episode of this podcast. But in that uh, episode, you have, of course, the three principal characters: uh, Kirk, captain of the ship. You have Spock and Bones, who are his two advisors. If not, you know, literally, but otherwise, in you know, in terms of their friendships. And the idea behind those two is they offered very different perspectives. Spock, of course, is familiar with uh, Star Trek or logic. Bones, pragmatic and humanist. You know, what are the consequences? This we like logic be damned. Is still going to, you know, cause harm to people. And Kirk have to actually, you know, he had to actually struggle with decisions at times. He had to, you know, figure his way out. He had, like, he was uncertain. And this, to me, is the template for the kind of protagonists that I like in fiction. I don't care for protagonists who are always 100% certain all the way through. Now, I'm not saying that can't work. I'm saying in a lot of schlock action that I enjoy, that's the case. So that's fine. But I think that, you know, it speaks better to humanity for people to be uncertain, but then to at least think and fight their way out of it. To make mistakes, but to get back up, because that's ha- what happens to us in real life. Granted, fiction is escapism, so, you know, if people don't want that, that's fine. But that's why I'm mostly okay with it in this in this scenario, is with a lot of fiction. Characters are allowed to fail. They're allowed to fuck up. Because then they will, you know, rise above it. Standard, you know, film art. You know, characters, you know, Fucking, let's think. Luke Skywalker. Yeah, Luke Skywalker. Characters are allowed to walk into a 50s diner and complain about sand. <laughs> always. In space. That's always, yes. It, it, no matter where the story is taking place. Characters are allowed to drink tequila and go wild. Just <laughs> like in Star Wars. 
I thought that was a fucking Superman free <laughs> reference, and that shows how old I am. Jesus. Because oh he literally gets hammered in a bar. Anyway, never mind. Um, so that's my long, tortured point about uh, Picard. I'm into yes. it. Let's I'm into talk it. about Picard, because he's mm. amazing. God, great. Um, but that's the thing, like, that's why I'm now much more on board with the show, even though I kind of already was, and I still really liked it, but now it's transcended from just being simply a well-executed piece of fiction to a well-executed, mostly engaging piece of fiction. Mm. So, uh, let's go. Alright, scores. Scores on the doors, John. Uh, Vorgelia. Oh my god, me. I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't have anything special. I don't have a sugoi. <laughs> you always have a sugoi. Uh, fucking uh, Mads Mikkelsen that doesn't want to die. <laughs> I don't have a gimmick today. It's not been great. So I'll come up with something later. And I haven't been talking a lot. I guess I liked it. <laughs> There's no... Sorry. It's not been a great day. But oh. this has been an amazing episode. There's no crone. There are children. And they talk. Right? Give it up. That's fair. <laughs> no, I'll, say, I'll say, like, this... You mentioned that this episode introduces uh, an interesting aspect for you. The kind of interpersonal kind of drama. The kind of... Uh, uh, kind of conflicts in between the group of children. And things that would come up from that stuff. And that's actually something I didn't want this show to get into that much. Oh, because that's too stressful for my brain. I want the <laughs> children to do well. I want them to do fine. I want them to have some kind of stuff, but not like all of them have these sorts of flaws that basically screws everything up. And basically, it for me, it kind of might stray away from the chess game that is easy to kind of watch and is not as stressful as, oh my god, I don't want the children to go into a big misunderstanding like especially like immediately when uh norman was like hey ray you're the traitor and i didn't catch up on the kind of um on the uh ruse there uh it was basically oh no are we going to have like fucking uh you know misunderstandings and stuff that's the kind of stuff i don't want to see but whatever that's a it's a mood that's not really a point against the show I'm not gonna. It's a matter of personal taste. Yeah, um, I, I'm not gonna take away Sugoi's from that, from that because the show does what it wants to do, and it's still wonderful. How many Sugoi's? All the Sugoi's. That'll do. That'll do. Uh, I'm, uh, gonna, I'm gonna go a four point five. Um, God damn it! I had my object and then I forgot it. Uh, 4.5, um, I don't know, PSPs that mom gave to Ray for being a good boy <laughs> out of five. Uh, yeah, great episode. As well. Yes, yes. So, like, I've been, I, don't, I, I got all into this pretty early. Like, I found myself attaching to the characters. Um, and, like, I don't know, in a weird way, the puzzle box just got me more interested in the characters because it just made me think, like, man, this seems really competent. Like, I feel safe, like, investing in these characters. I feel like they're being written with a hand that, I don't know, kind of is not going to waste them or their potential. Um, 
so so I've been uh, I've been all in pretty early to the characters and like I, mm-hmm. I loved everything about the episode. Really, it just the, I, there wasn't there wasn't really I don't know a really high high. So I don't want to give it the full five, but four and a half. I was engaged all throughout. Um, I'll just I'll say I docked like half a point or a quarter of a point for like camera work that I was like mm, maybe this is a little indulgent. But yeah, no great episode, great episode indeed. Uh- I'll wrap this up by saying that I'm going to give this episode uh, four and a quarter child genius floor maps out of five. Um, <laughs> Dude, that's beautiful. That's nice, beautiful. Nice. nice. Yeah. Um, I know that seems like I'm not giving it much, given I've raced it over episodes similarly before, uh, but there were things that did feel a little bit That's why ratings quite. are dumb. Well, that's why I don't like them. That's why I'm we so spend... That's why we spend nearly two hours talking about before we get to the rate. Yeah. Anyway. I don't uh, think it's like, a, like it's like not a scientific. It's like, what's your emotional response to the episode? <laughs> mm-hmm. So here's the, here's the thing, right? Like, I there were moments in this episode that confused me. I didn't feel like they were well thought out. And funnily enough, even though she wasn't in said episode, a lot of that was due to Sister Crone or just, you know, things that I feel like were a bridge from the manga or even a mid. But this is where it's starting to kick into high gear. This is where we're starting to get people getting to loggers with each other. I'm not interested in conflict for its own sake, as long as it's narratively and dramatically satisfying. And to its credit, this was great, like following up um, from the previous episode's cliffhanger. So, yeah, I'll keep it up to that anyway. Right. Uh, we unfortunately have to call it now, uh, but thank you all very much for listening. It's been great having you again, as always. Uh, our Twitter links are in the doobly-doo somewhere. You know where we and... all are. Announcement, sorry. Yes, you can find me at twitter.com slash Vergalia, but in five minutes you can find me at twitch.tv slash Vergalia. I'm gonna play Tekken for like an hour or so. Awesome. So come say hi. Nice. I don't I don't Go think any of these nerds are going to be there, so Con- I am to be myself. Continue the mm-hmm. Neverland discussion while watching Tekken. <laughs> indeed um so go go get yourself a rising uppercut over there you know whatever the move names are <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a hadoken come on come on i know that paul phoenix is a character but that's it anyway so a ninja says get over here Death that's what happens fist. <laughs> Death fist, yes oh god uh, right but anyway thank you all so much as always choice we'll be back next week for episode six when hopefully things continue to rock, you know, ratchet up a bit more, and hopefully Chrome doesn't appear at fucking all. But until then, as always, everyone, I've been Shaden, that's been Doc, and that somewhere over there has been Vargelia. Oh my Thank god. Thank you all again so much, and embrace you for everyone. It's the ends of the universe. Good night. No terrendus, la luz te espera. Mwah. What he said. Did he mispronounce that, like, massively, or what? That's so embarrassing, honestly. Sugai.